Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he was an archangel Michael, created billions of years ago. Created billions of years ago, that's what they believe. And the Mormons believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. The spirit brother of Lucifer, Satan. That means that Jesus and Satan are on the same playing field, right? Is that true, saints? No, it's not. In Islam, it does not believe that Jesus is God. They just believe that he's just a, a, a good prophet. But their prophet Muhammad, they, ex, they excel above him. And these religions and many others believe in the same. Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. To deny the true Jesus is the basis of the spirit of the Antichrist. It is the spirit which both oppresses the true Jesus and offers a substitute Jesus. The devil doesn't care at all if you know Jesus or love Jesus or pray to Jesus, as long as it's a false Jesus, a make-believe Jesus, a Jesus who is not there and who therefore cannot save. As true believers in Jesus Christ, we must remember that the essence of the Antichrist spirit is present with us today. It is found everywhere a false Jesus is promoted in place of a true Jesus of the Bible. And now let's join Pastor Rob for today's message. John chapter 4, we've been slowly making our trek through the, this letter that John had written. And remember, John wrote it around 90 AD, which was about 20 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. And John is writing the same letter to many of the churches, the Jews and the Gentiles, that Paul the Apostle, remember, he was, uh, he was killed, he was martyred uh, years before John um, died. John was one of the last remaining apostles. But remember when Paul did his missionary journeys all throughout Asia Minor in that area that he wrote letters to the Thessalonians, to the Romans, to the Colossians. And and this letter that John has written is going to those similar places to encourage them. Because at that time, uh, persecution was, was very high, uh, physical persecution, uh, unlike the persecution that you and I experience today. Um, many of us anyway in this country, we don't really experience that. But John was writing to a group of people that were newly saved, newly in the faith, Jews that had converted to Christianity because the, the whole Old Testament was about Jesus. And so finally when he comes on the scene, he dies in their place and he was resurrected, he rises again. They're like, yes, that makes sense because that's what the scripture has been saying for hundreds of years prophesying of this one who would come from from Bethlehem, who would be born in Bethlehem, would grow up in Nazareth. 
This one who would, who, would, who would take the place, the suffering servant that Isaiah 53 tells us about, and, and, and the servant on the cross, the, the Savior who Psalm 22 refers to when David was prophesying. And it's all about Jesus. And so he's writing to these people. And he's also writing to them because of the deceptions that were already in the world at that time. And so what we're going to do this morning, hopefully we're going to get through this whole chapter 4. We'll see if that really happens. (laughs) Uh, Let's read it. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, where therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then it seems like in this, uh, this next section, it, it almost takes a, a, a turn. And in fact, if you remember last week, I was sharing those first six verses were sort of like, uh, it seemed kind of out of place because it's talking about being aware of, of the spiritual realm around us and, and testing the spirits because there were many false prophets, many people claiming to be Jesus. And it's right here in the middle. We didn't look at the, the previous several verses uh, prior to this chapter and in, in, in chapter 3, but it talked about love. It was just, remember, we were just dipped in this idea of God's love and being one with one another and loving one another as God has loved us. And if we love him, we, we love the brethren and so forth. And then right smack dab in the middle of, of, of this whole topic of love, The Holy Spirit sees fit to have John record for us this idea about testing the spirits. Because testing the spirits is love. It is love. When you read about love, oftentimes you get a a good feeling in your heart. But then sometimes love has to expose things as well, doesn't it? Sometimes love has to expose the things that are harmful to you. And love also warns, doesn't it? Love expresses itself in many ways, and the, the, the kind of love that we like is, is when we're hugged, when we're kissed, when we're taken care of, but love also gives warning. And so I don't think it's really inappropriate, I mean, who should I say, but I, I think it's very appropriate that this passage is right there in the center of it all. And so we go on here in verse 7, and, it, and he, he snaps right back out of that, right into this topic of love. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So let me ask a question. God is love. He's love, right? He's not hate. God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. We know that that's Jesus. 
his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him, through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation. Boy, that's a big 50-cent word. It just means uh, uh, an atonement. He, he made himself an atonement. He, he put himself in our place that we deserved. That's what propitiation is. For our sins, beloved, he says, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen, notice, this is not some uh, something that was handed down. This is not something that John heard. He's saying, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior in the world. They were eyewitnesses of it. John was an eyewitness to all of this. So were the other disciples. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 15, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known, notice, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Again, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Boy, you just can't escape it, can you? You just can't escape it. I love the fact that John is just, he just wants to get across the idea of the unity. That God is, if you're a Christian, God is in you and we are in him. And and, and the two are inseparable. That's why one of the names of Jesus is what? Emmanuel. And what does that word mean? It means God with us. He said, I will never leave you even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the age. He is with us here today. He's with us here today. He received our worship as we sang to him. And he's residing over our hearts right now and just encouraging us, wooing us, if you will, to continue to draw near to him. He's the only solution, folks. There are many ways that people say there are many ways to God, but there's only one way, and it's, it's exclusive, but it's available for every soul that has ever been born. Every soul. So God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him, notice, because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For who does does not love his brother, or I'm sorry, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And so you can see, just John, uh, uh, there's no mystery. He was the uh, apostle of love. He was the apostle of love. Let's go back to verse 3. Last week we kind of got into this, but I want to pick up here. Notice he says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come, notice, in the flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and now already in the world. And you remember, we looked at the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, and uh, there are many other world religions that don't believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and that he is God in the flesh. That is so critical to our, to our, uh, what we believe. Because we have sinned, he had to come. He had to come in the likeness of men. 
He went through the baptism of John, not that he needed to be baptized, but to relate to us. He went through baptism. He submitted himself unto that and then submitted himself on the cross to his father who put him to death for the, the sin of the whole entire world, for those who would believe in him. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he was an archangel Michael created billions of years ago. Created billions of years ago. That's what they believe. And the Mormons believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. The spirit brother of Lucifer, Satan. That means that Jesus and Satan are on the same playing field, right? Is that true, saints? (laughs) No, it's not. In Islam, it does not believe that Jesus is God. They just believe that he's just a a, a good prophet. But their prophet Muhammad, they they excel above him. And these religions and many others believe in the same. But here's the truth, because Jesus is uncreated. Remember, we looked at that last week. He's uncreated, meaning he always existed. Even before he became incarnate through the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit planted that seed in Mary so that she could bring forth the Savior of the world. But did Jesus exist before then? Yes, he did. There were many times in the Old Testament where Jesus would show up in what we call a theophany or a Christophany, where he would make an appearance in another form, and he would be worshipped as God at certain times. Joshua encountered that before they went in and, and uh, destroyed Jericho. Remember the, 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 the sword drawn? We just went through that in, in, in Joshua. But what does Colossians say? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Let me just read it to you. We looked at it last week, but I want to remind you. Remind you. Paul says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. Notice, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He holds it all together. Notice, he created all things. So if he created all things, think it through, then he can't be created. (laughs) He's the one who created he is the one who, who was created. However, Lucifer, Satan, was a created being. He was a created being. He was, his name was Lucifer, or the light bearer. He had something to do with worship, bringing worship before all of creation to God. And, and you, you know what happened. Pride filled his heart. Instead of bringing glory to God, he wanted the glory for himself. And because of pride, he was, he was uh, reprimanded severely. And now he becomes Satan, the deceiver, the destructor, the destroyer. But in Ezekiel chapter 28, we saw that very clearly. As Ezekiel is speaking to the king of Tyre, he goes through several verses, and God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is talking directly to the king of Tyre up in that area in Phoenicia. But then right in midway, he switches it, and then he starts addressing the throne behind the power. And we know that because he says in verse 13 of Ezekiel 28, you were in Eden, now was, was, was the king of Tyre, was he all the way back in Eden when, when, when before the flood? I don't think so. So we're talking about the spiritual being who was behind this pagan power. He says, you were in Eden, verse 13, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. So he's clearly addressing Satan here. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you. Notice, in the day that you were created. 
So this being Lucifer, you know, people have these weird ideas about who the devil is and who Jesus is. They are not the yin and the yang. They are not equal. There is no balancing. No, Jesus is, is, is above all things. He is the creator. Everything is submitted unto him and will ultimately one day be submitted unto him. But he is the creator. Lucifer was a created being. Do you understand? And so all these world religions, they like to malign these things. And they're not true. I'm so glad that that's not true. We'd be in a lot of trouble if they were equal. Jesus is triumphant. He's victorious. He is the victor. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the creator, the beginning and the ending, the alpha and the omega. There's no one like him. There's no other savior beside him. But what does the Bible say about Jesus? Don't believe me. Let's just read it. In John chapter 1, it says, In the the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That means before Jesus was incarnate in the Virgin Mary, way back before Genesis, before God says, before it says, in the the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that statement, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit were just fine. Thank you very much. Because in the beginning was the Word. In our beginning, in the beginning of creation, in, the, in that beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and verse 14 of that same chapter in John chapter 1 defines who that Word is. Gives us a little more clue in case you're wondering, who is this Word that we're talking about? Well, it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the Word then? It's Jesus. In fact, in this very letter that we're reading today, sometime next week, we're going to be getting into John chapter 5. And you know what it says in chapter 5, verse 7? It says, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. We all know it as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Everybody knows that. The Word is Jesus Christ. He is the Logos. He is the very representation. That's why the Greek word Logos is there. What does a logo do? It represents something. Again, I hate to use it, but it works. it's the only thing that comes to my mind. When you're driving on 590 and you're hungry and it's lunchtime, you're looking for that icon, that logo, the golden arches. Or you're looking for Bill Gray's or you're looking for Edie's ice cream. We can get those wonderful vanilla shakes. He represents God the Father. He's equal with him. He's equal with him. In fact, in Matthew, you remember Matthew 16, Jesus, in one part of his ministry, when they were up in Caesarea Philippi in the northern part of Israel, Jesus asked them and he said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He kind of answered his own question, didn't he? You're the Son of Man. Right. Well, Peter says this. He said, You are the Christ. You are Christos. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And all the Jews knew that the Messiah, the Anointed One, they all knew. They were waiting for him. The prophecies have been talking about it for centuries. The Messiah is equal to God the Father. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew that. They knew that he was the Son of God and is the Son of God. If you remember in John chapter 4, remember when he was in Judea, in, in, in Judah, which is in the southern part of Israel, 
he was going to go up to Galilee, and there's three different bodies of uh, three different regions, if you will, in, in Israel. Down here in Jerusalem was Judah. Then there was Samaria, which was the, the area where there was a lot of interbreeding going on with Jews and Gentiles. And then there was the Galilee of the Gentiles up in the north. And Jesus had to go up to Galilee, but he said, I must needs, I have to go to Samaria. There's a reason I have to go. I have to go to Samaria because he knew there was a woman there. A woman who didn't know him, and a whole entire village that was ignorant of him, that needed salvation. So you remember what he did. Instead of going around and and going out over the Jordan and crossing up and bypassing Samaria altogether, he went straight through it, and he went to a town, and he saw a lady, a woman at the well. And he says, woman, could you get me a drink of water? And you remember the dialogue that they had, and Jesus said, uh, you know, where's your husband? And, and she says, nowhere, Lord. He says, well, you, you said rightly because this is now your fifth husband. And you, you're not even married to him, right? And, 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 and this dialogue opens up. But then at one point she said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus claimed that he was God, that he was God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. So let's go back to verse 3 here. You know, it talks about, he says in John chapter, or verse 3, excuse me, he said, the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard, was coming. Now, we have to differentiate the spirit, the, the spirit of Antichrist and the Antichrist himself. We know that there's a man coming on the scene, yet future to us, who is going to have all the solutions. After the church is removed in the rapture, he is going to come on the scene. We, we, we know that that's going to occur. And we see things in the world just kind of forming for, the, for this new one-world order. And believe me, it, it wants to happen so badly, so badly. Because once you and I are removed from this earth, there is nothing stopping the legislation that's going to bring, bring forward this one world government. Our sovereignty has to be stripped away. We have to be part of the conglomerate. We can no longer be sovereign and hold to what we hold to. But there is one coming who the Bible says is the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist. He will be defeated at the end but he is going to lead the whole world into apostasy and they will worship him and they will receive a mark in their in their right hand or in their forehead that they cannot live unless they uh, they can't buy or sell anything unless they receive that mark it's going to be some kind of distinguishing mark who knows what that is in Matthew chapter 24 Jesus when he was on the mount of olives with his disciples we call it the olivet discourse Jesus said to them, he says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. He was talking to the Jews, and he was referring to a time yet future to them, and by the way, yet future to us even still. It's a time at the end, or during during that tribulation period, right before Jesus would return. He would say, there's going to be many false Christs coming up on the scene, claiming that they are the Messiah. Claiming that they are the Messiah. Many will come in my name, he said, saying, I am the Christ, I am the Christos, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Did you ever wonder why no one ever claims to be Buddha? You know, Jesus didn't say, you know, people are going to come in Buddha's name, 
Are they going to come in uh, Muhammad's name? Are they going to come in some other name? They're going to come in the name of David Koresh. They're going to come in the name of Jim Jones. Those, all those men claim to be God. They claim to be the Messiah. They claim to be Jesus. Why is it that people are only claiming to be Jesus? Have you thought about that? Josephus, the Jewish historian, he tells us that the land of Israel was overrun with magicians, seducers, and impostors who drew the people after them in multitudes into solitudes and deserts to see the signs and miracles that they promised to show by the power of God. And the names of 24 false messiahs are recorded as having appeared between the time of the emperor Hadrian and the year 1682. 24 at least, at least, and that was just back then. Just back then, there's one man. uh... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.